This is coming from U.S. Energy uh, Information Administration. So this is not like something that's from a blog. It's the U.S. Department of Energy, okay? So nuclear 92.5, geothermal is 74.3, natural gas around 57%, hydropower 42, coal 40, wind 35, solar 24.9, yet that's all we keep hearing about. If you go to the next one, uh, the CO2 emissions, you, you should have, uh, uh, yeah, that one right there if you could. Uh, um, there you go. And then the last one will be great. Uh, zoom in a little bit so we can see it all. CO2 emissions avoided by the U.S. power industry. Again, nuclear, uh, and that's by million metric tons, 476, 187, 174, 45, and geothermal. Uh, Bjorn, can you explain this chart right there? Go back to the one you were on. No, just go on the one that we were on. Explain this chart. What does this mean to the average person? So, well, I'm not sure it means anything to the average person, but let's take a step back and say, if you have more nuclear power, you use less of everything else. Now, you use a little bit less of wind and solar, but you also use less of fossil fuels, and it means you end up emitting less CO2. Nuclear simply replaces CO2-emitting energy. So that's why nuclear has saved more uh, CO2 than any other technology. Uh, if you have more wind, if you have more uh, hydro, you also save CO2, but much less. And what you have to remember is it's really hard to keep a society running with wind and solar because, you know, they predictably will run out. You know, at night there's no solar. When the wind dies down, there's no wind. Uh, and we have no sense of how little batteries we have. Right now the world has batteries uh, to, to cover enough electricity consumption in the world uh, for one minute and 15 seconds. Uh, so, you know, fundamentally, batteries are not in any time soon going to be able to step in on this. So whenever you use solar or you use wind, you inevitably have to have some backup power that both has greater cost and that also means typically gas. So unless you're very uh, fort fortuitously positioned where you have lots of hydro as backup, you will emit more CO2. Uh, so nuclear is the only large-scale way that we can cut a large part of our CO2 emissions from electricity. Tom, what are you noticing in private equity, what direction money is going to with nuclear? Are you seeing like a trend there? Yeah, you're, you're seeing, if you take a look at, at, at the minds of private equity and in um, venture capital, you, you have people like Bill Gurley and others like him that are pointing out that um, investment in, you know, Gen 4 nuclear is not only uh, uh, important, but it's critical because Gen 3 nuclear has proven to be safe. As a matter of fact, you look around France, France has got a ton of nuclear, and it's not old nukes, right? It's, it's relatively new. Um, and so that, that's how they're being powered. But they're looking at it as investment opportunities. And you're not seeing, you're, you're, you're not seeing a bunch of investment in, like, the next 2% more efficient solar panel. Um, and you're seeing full recognition that it's, that, oh, we could just get lithium from seawater. And, and then you take a look at the energy it takes to get the, then the other resources it takes to get the lithium out of the seawater. But you're seeing tremendous interest in investments in, 
in in new nuclear power. And more importantly, evangelists saying, will you please read the reports? And I'm seeing VCs, they'll tweet it, they'll connect to a report and say, will you just read this? Will you just read this? And they're trying to push, you know, rather than just yelling or making documentaries that are fake, they're trying to get people to read the facts such as we're right here. And so they're smart people are out on the forefront, but they're being drowned out by the political people. Follow up on the nuclear thing. We were talking about this off camera before we started. Nuclear is one of those words where, I mean, it's just you say the word nuclear. People are like have a nuclear meltdown. Like That's a that's a taboo word. You hear that. I mean, we all know what happened in World War Two and Hiroshima, Nagasaki. And then there's been disasters. We were talking about the Three Mile Island that they kind of covered up in Chernobyl and Chernobyl. And uh, was it Nagasaki or Fukushima? Anyway, all these situations you hear nuclear Mm -hmm. people get freaked out. Is it? What should we not be fearful of when it comes to nuclear? So uh, if you actually look at how dangerous different things are, uh, given how much kilowatt hours they produce or how much energy they produce, uh, it turns out that nuclear is one of the safest things ever. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit like with uh, airplane crashes. Uh, actually, it's incredibly safe to fly. But every time there is a crash, you yeah. hear about it. Great and analogy. So, so it's it's a, a little bit the same way with you know Chernobyl. Obviously, was a terrible disaster. Uh, but you know, uh, ten years later, the EU, the World Health Organization, the International uh, Nuclear Commission, and several other organizations went together and said, well, "How many people actually died from this?" And they find that it's much less than two thousand people. You know, remember. This is in a world where coal fire power, which emits lots and lots of air pollution, will routinely kill about half a million people every year. But it happens all the time, and it's not one single disaster. What, so what, it doesn't, what kills half a million people every so, year? Uh, the air pollution from coal fire power. Uh, so it's basically the fact that you know, you've cleaned up much of this in the U.S., but most places you just belch out this black smoke, uh, especially in poor countries, mm-hmm. and it simply blankets the uh, neighborhoods with, uh, with or, dirty air. Or if West you, Virginia. <laughs> I don't know about that. But if you go to New Delhi, for instance, it's t- Terrible, literally terrible. You know, it's like smoking a pack of cigarettes or something a day. Uh, now, that's also because they burn a lot of their agricultural waste, and you know, it's not just the coal-fired power plants. But we know that coal-fired power plants make mm. a huge impact. Uh, and and the point is, there's a lot of deaths from a lot of different technologies. How so hydropower very clearly also leads to big breakdowns of you know dams, that kind of thing. Uh, and you know even even wind power and solar power, mm-hmm. you, you know people will uh, uh, drop down from the uh, from the rooftops where they're installing them, or down from the from the uh, uh, wind turbines. They're not nearly as dangerous, so you know they're still pretty good. So are you advocating for more use of nuclear? I'm simply saying nuclear is incredibly safe and we should recognize that just like you actually most people recognize airplanes are incredibly safe. Although that's not, I think that's important distinction because you know, these days you hear what's going on in Ukraine, Putin drops a nuclear threat every single day. Obviously there's a two, you know, different examples, but just the, the word nuclear people like, you know, the hair raises on their skin right there. It's, it's alarming. Yes. Yes, and and just because you share a word, you shouldn't think that that's the same. But it's thing. the same word, uh, ex- so exactly, exactly. <laughs> but but kind of hard to and, distinguish the two. So, and, so you- and this is also why fourth generation <laughs> nuclear power, because remember, third generation actually had to be actively protected. So, on, you know, if you lose all power, that was what both had in Fukushima and in, in Chernobyl. If you lose all power. 
basically you can get a real meltdown. What they're saying is that the new uh, uh, fourth generation nuclear is passively safe. That is, if you lose all power, it just stops, which, of course, is a better setup. There's a lot of technological reasons why we didn't do it for the third one, because you'd be like, well, shouldn't we have done that already? But, you know, so the, the point here is it's potentially much safer. It's potentially much cheaper. But, again, I want to see that uh, before we... We say, yay, let's go. I want to get a reaction from you on this story of Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris issues dire climate change warning in Africa. Existential threat to the entire planet. Okay, she said this three days ago, I want to say April 1st. Um, Vice President Kamala Harris visits Panuka Farm in Zambia, Zambia and gave stern warning about the existential threat of climate change, calling it a global priority. Harris noted that Africa is one of the lowest... Uh, emitters of greenhouse gases, but is playing some of the highest costs related to climate change, particularly in terms of food security. Harris highlighted the importance of climate resilient agriculture and reducing greenhouse gas emissions around the world, citing food scarcity as a cause of conflict and displacement. Harris's visit to Africa as part of the Biden's administration efforts to build partnership and bolster the continent's growth uh, amid uh, global rivalry over its resources, what's your thoughts about this story with Kamala Harris? Well, it's it's you know very typical. Uh, almost all Western politicians will go down and lecture uh, poor Africans uh, on climate change, and I think it tells you two things. First of all, she wants to say this is a, an existential threat, and it goes back to that whole conversation we had before that most people who are advocating on climate will tell you, this is the end of the world. And it's obvious, because if you can get people to believe this is the end of the world, you don't think about the costs. It's a little bit like with COVID. If, you know, if we don't do all these draconian things, we're all going to die, then you're more willing to let yourself do that. It is not. Climate change is a problem, not the end of the world. And that should, it'd be helpful if you actually told the truth on that. The second bit is much more sinister, I think, because that goes to saying, I'm here in Africa, and a lot of people will typically say, you are so vulnerable to climate change. So that makes it the most important thing. We should all cut our carbon emissions. Well, why are they vulnerable? Because they are poor. Remember, yes, poor people are most vulnerable to climate, but they're also most vulnerable to pretty much everything else. They're vulnerable to not having enough food, to not having good health, not having good schooling, all these other things. So why not target economy? Exactly. Why, why go climate exactly. instead of economy? If you actually want to make poor people less vulnerable, also to climate, but presumably also yeah. to all these other things, you lift them out of poverty. It's not rocket science. And they know that themselves. So what Uganda and others are actually saying is, we would like to get rich as you are, Miss Kamala Harris, right? They would obviously like to be like the U.S. They would like to have a lot more energy. What are we telling them? We're telling them, no. We're saying you cannot start using fossil fuels. I know we're using, what, 80, 90 percent of our energy from <clears throat> fossil fuels, but no, you can't do that. Uh, so Uganda actually wants to increase its emissions and have much more energy that would make them much richer, which is a tiny fraction per capita of what the U.S. would ever do. But the U.S. and almost all other rich countries are saying no. We are literally telling, no, you have to stay in poverty in order to fix climate change. I think that's incredibly entitled. And of course, the reason why we do that is because Camilla Harris and all other 
Western politicians know that they can't tell you or me or other rich people, I'm sorry, you have to go you know, sit in the cold and dark and, and be poor. That's never going to work. But they don't seem to mind to tell that to poor countries. And that's, of course, why a lot of African countries don't like us very much. Just to give, give you a sense of proportion, the average person in Uganda has less power than what in total for industry and everything than the average Californian use to heat his or her pool. That's the sort of level we're talking about. They use more on heating their pools than the Afri average Ugandan has for everything. And this, of course, is why they actually think, and I think they have some moral right to say that, we'd like some more. So why doesn't Greta go down to uh, Africa and uh, interact with... People who uh, have, have so I, little. I, I Why doesn't she, she do that? She's I got think a photo she, shoot. She, she, yeah, she knows that that would look going. bad. But it is, it is, it is impressing that she goes to the U.S. and mm -hmm. to America uh, to Americans and Europeans and tell them you got to cut, but not to Chinese and Indians mm -hmm. and Africans because she knows that would be looking how, really bad. How naive is Greta? But she came the became the face of the movement when she was twelve years old. I mean, she dropped out of middle school to pursue this, you know, not exactly an expert. She just cared about the environment, respect. Now I think she's 18 years old, right? She may have single-handedly brought down Andrew Tate, arguably. But the, you know, she's no expert, right? I mean, she's not the Doogie Howser of, uh, of climate. Shout out to that show. I know you watched that back in the day. But how naive is she? And everyone listens to Greta, especially on the woke left, but does she actually know what's really going on? Is she actually understanding budgets and ROIs on investments? Like, hmm. could she possibly understand this as much as scientists? What are your so, thoughts on Greta? So, so I'm actually going to surprise you a little and say I, I have a lot of respect to, for Greta. She basically listens to what pretty much everyone tells you. The world is ending. And she's at least taking the consequence of that and saying, well, if this is really the end of the world, we got to do much more than all these adults are saying. I, I, you know, I, I respect that a lot. She's misinformed, but it's not her fault. It's really because pretty much everyone in the media, in the mainstream media, mm -hmm. and you know, Kamala Harris, as we just heard, is telling us this is an existential threat. Unless we do something about it, we might all die. I, I, I think it's, you know, respect that she took that consequence. What we should take from that is of course not to say, oh, she must be an expert. She's just you know, regurgitating what she's heard. We should say maybe we shouldn't scare our young people this much because mm -hmm. there's no justification for scaring this much. It's a problem, but it's not the end of the world. And there's a huge difference. One makes you, you know, give up everything and makes you give up your school. Uh, the other one is one of the many challenges we need to fix in the 21st century. Yeah. She, she, she's, some people would say, a useful idiot is what she is. She's she's good to be used as a pawn to validate more of their point and connect with younger kids, students, and oftentimes adults are afraid to go after somebody that's younger mm. because you another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. You seem like you come across as a bully. It's a perfect person to use and abuse others who have opposing views. It's yeah. extremely she's strategic. Certainly, she's certainly been used by a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and, and she has had that sort of moral Teflon, as they call it. You know, the, uh, she's a kid. How can, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you criticize a yeah. kid? And if you're, if, you're just, yeah. if you're just watching peripherally and you see that, you're like, oh my God, this girl cares so much. But then you see the pictures of like where she's getting fake arrested in Germany, I believe. You have that, Rob? And then you believe that there, a lot of it is is grandstanding and showcasing oh, of course. For, for clicks and eyeballs. She, yeah, this she, image right here. So yeah, what, you, what you see is her being arrested. And then what you don't see behind the scenes, I'm sure you can, if you What's keep looking at the images. The cops yeah, she's actually really talking to them. Yeah, yeah. Basically, selfies she looks stuff, like yeah. she... Literally. Look, she's exactly. not an expert. This, this girl, unfortunately, but, is being but, used and her shelf life is half you know what? You know what? I want to do something. I want to do something. Can you do me a favor and play this video? I saw this video. This guy, uh, uh, I'm going to send it to you, Rob. Let me know when you see it. This is a video that... Uh, pa, 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 pa. Let me find this and send this to you, too. This is um, airdrop. This video validates uh, Robert's MacBook Pro, who is who I'm sending it to. No, don't send it to that one. I'm going to send it to Rob's uh, iPhone. I send it to both of them, Rob. At this point, I'll send it to your BlackBerry. I'll send it to your <laughs> Nextel. Yeah. I swear to God, I'll, I'll whatever you want. I'll yeah. By the way, to shout you. out to Rob today. He's on the ball. He is you on know? the ball. Sometimes he's like a he's, second into it. No, no, he's on fire Sometimes today. he's got, no, you know, he doesn't get his coffee. He had but his today he's this it. morning. He drank uh, the vault drink. He had, a, he, had, <laughs> he had the right drink. So, Rob, if you got it. That coal-powered laptop. usually drinking whiskey in the morning. Today. It's that coal-powered laptop. He's old school. Rob, you got it. All right, so check this out, this video. Uh, Rob, uh, you're it, allowed to use your voice, buddy. You're doing sign language Watch over there. this here. Watch this here. You just got to see this. It's phenomenal. Okay, watch it. If you I'll, know it, don't say anything, Tom, and it ruined the joke or stuff. Just kind of watch it. I have mean, you ever seen this or no? That's the I first have thing. not seen this. I've How easily seen this, can human beings be programmed? Watch I've this. Go ahead. This. Watch no. this. Despite what you might be thinking, these two circles are not equal. I repeat, these two circles are not equal. One is, in fact, larger than the other. Which one do you think what is What I bigger? need you to do is determine which one that is. Red or blue? So, please raise your hand if you believe right. the blue circle is larger than the red. They look exactly the same. Yeah. Blue looks maybe a little bit better. All right. Please raise your hand if you believe the red circle is larger than the blue. All right, very good. Now, before I said anything about these two circles, what was your first instinct? Equal, right? Because they look equal. And the reason why they look equal is because, in fact, they are equal. These two circles are identical. <laughs> Yet I got just about every one of you to raise your hand and say that they're not. So what do we learn? That you can be manipulated like that to believe in something so that goes true. against your natural instincts. Just, just imagine, just imagine as a child you're taught that the blue circle is larger than the red. If you say it enough times, you convince yourself that's the truth. If you're told the lie enough times, it becomes part of your reality. Wow. And if enough people are taught that lie, that the blue circle is larger than the red, well now it becomes part of the culture. And if that culture then passes that misinformation along to the next generation, well now it becomes tradition. Oh my God. <laughs> what do you think about this when you see this? 
What's your reaction? How much truth is there with, with the credibility of how they're using this to get people to say, no, it's real, it's real, it's real. Let me say, oh, maybe it is real. Yeah. Let me buy into it, right? It's the, totally real. We've seen things generationally in the United States that were started by one political party that were adopted by another and then his and now you look back in history wait that's not the way it is this political party said this when it started i can look at history but we've gone through generations where it's been appropriated the other way it's uh it's all over the place in this American pretty politics. much describes our educational system by the way bingo this, this is our educational system for the most part. I got to sit there and listen to this programming of my kids, and they're going to come down and tell Daddy, hey, Daddy, the red uh, circle is bigger than the blue. Billy, it's not. No, it is because my teacher said so. Mm. Your teacher is also brainwashed, okay? Uh, uh, but Pat, no, I don't care how many times you show me that video. That blue circle is well, bigger I'm than the red circle. I'm you think the blue is bigger than the red. We all know you think the blue is bigger than the red, but... We're, I think they are genuinely equal, and they both have a voice in America. And I'm talking about those two circles. Yeah, no, but but there's credibility behind the fact that all of us fell for this. Now, by the way, none of us are like above this. Nobody can be like, well, let me tell you because of my IQ score when I went to Mensa. Bullshit. You're also part of this. We're all victims of this to some yeah. point. Okay, at some point you fell for this. Okay, if you fell for Russia, you're part of the circle problem. If you fell for the Russia collusion, if you fell for the COVID, you're also part of the problem. Everybody was convinced it's only one way or the highway. There was no need for debate. There was no need for com uh, for discussion. What was that one story you told about the teacher? She came into the class and she basically said, hey, guys, I want to tell you kids that if you have blue eyes – you're smarter than anyone with brown eyes. Yeah. And then all the blue-eyed kids are like, yeah, we're smarter than you. And then the teacher came back the next day. She goes, actually, I had the, my facts incorrect. It's actually the brown-eyed students that are smarter than the blue. And all the brown-eyed kids are great. And then she came back the third day, and she's like, totally kidding. You guys are all completely equal. But it's just sort of proving your point. Like, if you can fall for a narrative and, you know, you're gullible, and you don't question things. If you keep you saying it. white people God. are racist, shit, maybe they're going to believe they're racist. And I've maybe wasted all my money giving to the yeah. protesters on behalf of the marginalized red circle because it was the same size the whole time, and we've been marching in the streets. Damn it, we're equal. Yeah. How much of the problem is this, Bjorn? Well, I think there's certainly a part of this uh, – that we're that we're easily manipulated on many of these things because we don't have a good connection to it. Most people don't have any good intuition about what is global warming. If you think back uh, on acid rain, do you remember acid rain in the 1980s? Uh, this idea that air pollution would actually kill off the forests. It was huge in Germany. Acid rain. In, okay. in, I'm more in, familiar with the purple rain. That's Prince <laughs> yeah. doing his thing. In, but okay. in, in, in Germany, uh, uh, a majority of people actually believed that acid rain would lead to uh, there being no forest in Germany in the year 2000, mm -hmm. which, of course, was entirely true, un, untrue. And we've had many of these kinds of uh, conversations. Now, all of them have partly mm – -hmm. they're partly true – but they are also massively exaggerated. So I would tend to say this is much more a question of, of there being so much interest in pushing a story because it makes for policymakers get to save your, uh, your life. You know, mm -hmm. we get to save you. Uh, it means that you get to spend a lot of money. And it means that you get to control the conversation for a decade or so. So I get why this happens. And, and, and I think in our sort of excitement of getting rid of this, we shouldn't mm -hmm. forget there are real problems out there. But we should just have a sort of sense of what's the right level 
of concern. And we have no good sense in that in climate. And I think Pat brought up a very good point at the very beginning of this conversation about like where Gen Z falls uh, in terms of where this is on their list of priorities. And this is at the very top of their yep. list. And it's because, A, of course you want to care about the planet. Like, what kind of psychopath doesn't care about the planet? I think we can all agree we have one planet, despite what Elon Musk is trying to do on Mars. I'm not moving to Mars anytime soon. Like, we all care about Earth. But then also, the age thing is a big thing. If you're 14 years old, if you're 16 years old, you're 18 even, you can't vote. You don't have a job. You haven't even been to college yet. You're not worried about prices and home prices and mortgages and the stock market. These are not concerns of yours. But the Earth, you can do something about that. You can care, You can actually tangibly do something, quote unquote, to help the environment. And that's why this comes at the top of their list. So I can completely empathize and understand why young people treat this as such high priority. But if they're only hearing one side of the story, why would they ever know otherwise? The, the only reason they're hearing that is because that that they're talking about that's because that's what they're hearing. Correct. And that's what they're being taught. So they're going to school and the mm -hmm. teachers are telling them this is the biggest problem. This is the biggest problem. Matter of yes. fact, I'm gonna ask you, Bjorn, what do you think? What do you think is the biggest problem we're dealing with right now in the world? Oh, thank you. This is what I've been spending the last twenty years of, of answering. It turns out the question is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the short answer here is uh, the biggest problem in the world is that we all die, but we don't have you know, a good technology to avoid it. So it doesn't make sense to rank the worst problems. Okay. It only makes sense to rank what are the best solutions. So you, know, you can't really say what are big problems because it depends on whether we have anything to do about it. And it turns out that there are some really, really good solutions to the world's big problems. So, you know, you mentioned poverty. Mm -hmm. uh, we know how to get people out of poverty by getting more trade, for instance. That is opening up our trade. Do you remember, you know, 20 years ago, everybody was very in favor of free trade. Then we started becoming realizing, oh, wait, there's actually problems with free trade as well. You know, the Rust Belt and that kind of thing. And that's absolutely true. But we still have not, we, we've kind of lost sight on the fact that trade still helps many, many more than it inconveniences. So, you know, for rich countries, uh, for every dollar that it costs for people like in the in the uh, in the Rust Belt, it generates benefits for the U.S. of about seven dollars. So, yes, we need to compensate them. We need to have that conversation. But for poor countries, free trade generates one dollar problem for every time it generates ninety-five dollars of net benefits. That's incredible. This is, you know, that's why, of course, China got so much richer. That's why China has lifted out most of its population now from poverty. This is because of the power of free trade. So that's one of the many solutions. Uh, do, do you mind if I give you a few more? Go for it. I'm listening. Good. So, so we're actually doing. I'm coming out with a book this month on on what are the twelve smartest things to do. So this was one of the smart things to do. Uh, education is obviously a big issue. So education sucks most places in the world. Uh, it certainly uh, is terrible for most of the poor people in the, in, in the world. They go to school. We've managed to do that, and everybody is in school, but they have really, really poor education, so they learn almost nothing. Uh, and one of the reasons is that there is such a big difference between the best student in the class and the worst student in the class. If you imagine you put all the 12-year-olds together in one grade, Obviously, some of these kids know everything the teacher is saying and more, and some of them have no clue what's going on. So the solution to that is to get 
more individualized learning, what, what they call learning at the student's own level. One way of doing this is getting kids in front of a tablet one hour a day. If you do this, right, the tablet will have software in the local language that actually teaches this student. And so the software very quickly figures out, oh, the student is really smart, so I can rush ahead, or the student has no clue what's going on, so I'll back up and start doing this. If you do this, it'll cost about $30 per kid per year. Now, they're not going to get the tablet. They'll share many of them. And, you know, these poor countries, you'll also need to have solar panels to recharge them at night. And you need a locker uh, to store them at night so they don't get stolen, that kind of stuff. We've calculated all that. And this is done on many, many studies, right? It'll cost about $30 per student per year. But it means that each of these kids over a year will learn what they normally would have learned on three years in school. They'll mm -hmm. simply learn three times as much. Now, remember, it's still a pretty crappy school, so it's just less crappy now. But it means that they will become much more productive when they become adults and they will produce much more. It actually turns out that this benefit delivers about $65 of benefit for every dollar it costs. So, again, if we do these kinds of things, we could actually make the poorer part of the world about $600 billion richer every year by an investment of about $10 billion. That's just fantastic. You know, so the point here is to say there's a lot of things we haven't heard of because they're not sexy, if you will, but they just happen to be incredibly effective. Let me give you one more, and then I'll, I have 12, so you can just say stop, but I'll I'm give you one more. Yeah. Uh, so tuberculosis is the world's leading infectious disease killer. It's not COVID. It was in 2020 and 2021, right? But even in 2022, it was not. Tuberculosis is a killer that we don't even think about anymore in the rich world. It used to kill a lot of us. Tuberculosis over the last 200 years probably mm -hmm. killed about a billion people. Mm -hmm. So everyone you know, no, that's not true, but a fourth of everyone you knew in the 1800s died from yeah. tuberculosis. Killed Doc Holliday. We all know that if you if you watch Wyatt Earp and Young Guns. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it was a terrible disease, but then came uh, 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 penicillin. And we basically got rid of it. You know, we got we knew how to fix it, and it's not been a problem in rich countries. It still is a huge problem. So it kills 1.4 million people in the poor part of the world, and this is mostly moms and dads. You know, so it's middle-aged people who've just got their own family. We've already educated them, and then they die. That's not just a terrible tragedy for those families, but it also means that there's less productivity in the mm -hmm. in the uh, in the nation. Which goes back to your initial point, like how do you if you're if you're trying to not die of tuberculosis, you're yeah. like you want me to worry about the climate in twenty one hundred? Exactly. Dream yeah. on. Yeah, and so we need to get more medication. This is mainly a problem of people actually taking. One of the reasons why it's really hard to get people to take it is you need to take the medication for four to six months. Have you guys ever gotten like a two two week uh, you know uh, 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 peninsulin cure? And you need yeah. You know, I'm looking for hard. a two week vacation, Bjorn. All <laughs> yeah, right, but sorry for no. that. But I can't help you there. But you know, it's hard to keep up and doing when you when you get well. You know, to keep remembering to take it. But mm -hmm. these guys actually have to take it for four or six months, and that's really hard. So you need apps. You need to have sort of games, maybe tuberculosis anonymous, where you get together every week and say, "Yes, I took my pills," and that kind of. So there's a lot of ways to sort of engage people in doing it because if they don't, they create multi-resistant. Uh, tuberculosis, which is much worse. And then we need to find a lot more. So we estimate about 10 billion, sorry, 10 million people 
get sick every year, but we only treat about 6 million of them. And this is the 4 million that both die, but also pass on the tuberculosis to new generations that then go on and die. So if we do this, it'll cost about $6 billion, but we'll save about a million people every year. It turns out, again, it's a, it delivers $46 of social good for every dollar spent. So what we're basically trying to say is there are these 12 amazing things. In total, they will cost $35 billion per year. Not trillion dollars like you know, uh, AOC's uh, uh, solutions to climate. A very, very small amount. It will save 4.2 million lives every year and it will make the poorer part of the world $1.1 trillion richer every year. It will simply deliver an incredible amount of good at very low cost, and that's the basic point. You know, so you asked, what are the biggest problems? Well, here are the best solutions for the world. These are very cheap, they're incredibly effective, and you've never heard of them because they're not fun, right? They're not the kind of thing that we talk about with climate that makes us all anxious and politicians can get you worried about. They just happen to be incredibly good solutions. It, it, what, what, what do you think about the fact that uh, Big Pharma can only advertise in two countries, U.S. and New Zealand? Tom, you know what I'm thinking about with this? Here's what I'm thinking about. You know, we talked about this briefly a month and a half ago. It may have even been with Ed Dowd when we talked about this. When it comes down to solutions that is about your health, you know, or something that has to do with like a, you know, COVID vaccine shot, you know, how much money Pfizer's valuation doubled during the two years. They went from being a $40 billion company to being a $100 billion company during COVID. What a great profitable thing COVID was for Pfizer. Pfizer was probably sitting there in this, you know, room saying this was a great way to increase the valuation of the company. So if they're sitting there and they're saying, let's think about what else we can do to take the company from a $100 billion company to $300 billion company. Well, you know what? Another pandemic would kind oh, of speed Jesus. up the process. Or another, another, yeah. the, the mind goes there. I, I think the part about having profit in the area of health there's a part about that that that's, it's a little bit. Uh, I understand the innovation part. We can innovate to find solutions. Like, you know, the, the debate where some people are saying the cure for cancer is already here, but they don't want to have it because if they do it, they would lose so much money. You know, the cure for this is such and such here, but they don't want to have it because if they do it, it would be. So many of these cures are around, but they're being kept aside because other companies will be affected by that cure and profit margins could go from XYZ mm -hmm. to whatever. Uh, how much? How much do you think the there are plenty of other cures out there that we could solve a lot of the issues we have on pennies on a dollar? But some companies are suppressing them from being known to the public because it could cost them in their valuation of you know twenty percent, fifty percent, or seventy percent. Do you know what I'm asking? Um, you asking yeah. me? I, I I don't think so. I I think that that's mostly sort of uh, uh, conspiracy theory. Uh, we know that we have a lot of incredible uh, uh, medical breakthroughs uh, that have happened. That you know, basically, uh, these companies made a lot of money on them at first because they sell them to the rich world, and then eventually it goes broad and everybody gets them uh, because the patent runs out, and that's what you know has saved uh, countless lives and has made you know, human health much, much better. What we're seeing now increasingly is that the costs go up. You know, so for instance, these, uh, 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 these uh, uh, gene uh, uh, 
gene modification tests, uh, uh, drugs that are that are specifically uh, designed to alter your genes because you have a gene malfunction. They cost. I just saw this news story. They cost what three million dollars or something. Uh, that's very very costly. That could only work in the very richest of countries, and they may not be good value for money. Uh, but the the crucial bit here is. The technological innovation happens in rich countries where we're willing to pay for them. A lot of the problems are in poor countries where they can't pay for them. And so my point here is simply to say there's a lot of things we already know how to do. We just couldn't really be bothered spending money on it because we're focused on other things. You know, we're focused, if you want to put it very bluntly, we're focused on climate change because it gets all the attention. Instead of these very, very simple things. You know, malaria is another good example. Malaria is almost exclusively in sub-Saharan Africa. Mm -hmm. It didn't used to be that way. Uh, so remember, uh, you know, 36 of the U.S. states in the early 20th century were endemic in malaria. Uh, I'm sure I can't remember the 36 states, but I'm sure uh, Florida was one of them. Uh, but when you grow up, when you get rich, when you start putting screens in your doors and you can afford to uh, tackle this, it becomes a lot easier to tackle. And that's why we basically eradicate it in most you know, rich, mm -hmm. rich world countries. They haven't in the poor world. They're also a little unlucky. They have a much, much worse mosquito that, uh, that distributes the, do, uh, do you the think, malaria. Do you think it's okay for pharma, big pharma to advertise on TV events, sporting events, all that? Do you think that's okay? I don't have a good... I, d I haven't thought about that. I come from a place where we don't, so I, I haven't thought yeah, about but, that. Yeah, but, but but why don't you guys? Because you do come from a place that don't. It's only two places that do. It's us and New mm. Zealand. Why don't you guys? Why don't the other 190 whatever amount of countries that we have, why why don't they advertise? That's a good question. No, I, they're I, not allowed. Well, by right? the way, I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying that we have the answer. I'm just saying yeah. let's have the discourse. Why? Yeah. Like, What can we speculate why they don't allow pharma companies to advertise in those countries. So I know when I come to the U.S., I uh, I see all these ads and all kinds of things yeah. I can do. And I'm sort of like, ooh, I should do that because it will make me more safe. And then I'm also starting worrying, oh, my God, do I have this? Do I have this disease? Could this be? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm just freewheeling here, but I'm guessing that a lot of this uh, uh, you know, leads to some anxiety as well. And it also leads me to vastly overspend because I'll, you know, I, I know. So w when I go to, have you ever, guys ever gone to uh, get vaccinated for something? Then they tell you, did you know this bug? And, you know, you have no idea, is this something that bites one person in Sweden every year? Or is this something we all die from? But you feel like maybe I should get that vaccine. You know, it's, it's not... It, uh, advertising on things you have virtually no sense of is probably not the right way to you know get information. Imagine if they did it for for Boeing and Airbus. Uh, you know they were advertising. Do you really want to get on a Boeing flight? Don't you want to go with a more safe Airbus? You know that. Can you make these decisions? It's probably nice to have other people making those decisions. Whether we should c certify them as airworthy. What do you think, Tom? Um. I'm against pharma advertising, and um, I, I go back to a case study that was um, back when I was growing up, there were afternoon soap operas were very popular in the United States, and um, when they would, on General Hospital or um, The Young and Restless, there were these very incredibly popular shows that were like the most popular shows on television at the time, and they would invent some random malady to create 
a storyline and tension. And an amazing amount of, let's face it, mostly housewives who were home watching these things used to call their doctor or go to their doctor and say, I think I've got these two symptoms. I think I have because they saw it in general hospital. And so I think there's a certain psychosomatic effect that you can have on the populace. And I do not think that a, a hyper-medicated populace is a good thing. And I don't, I'm not in favor of pharma, you know, advertising for two reasons. One, I don't think there's that the societal benefit is there to scare and induce. And then also pharma has to get back the cost of their advertising and the drugs in America are already expensive, Pat. And so now if you're advertising a Super Bowl commercial, well, then the Super Bowl commercial cost is going to be in, in that medication. And I think that you know, we did very, very well in the rest of the world with pharmaceutical representatives educating doctors at symposiums and then doctors, you know, um, you know, prescribe them accordingly as the various FDAs of the world and the various countries or collections of countries did it. So I, I, I am against um, uh, medical advertising for that reason. Uh, psychosomatic effect on the populace, and I and it increases, not decreases, the cost of the medications at the end unit because you got to get the advertising dollars back, and you create this, and suddenly you create this monster where you're a research organization looking for the next problem, and you're trying to find you know the next problem on a grand scale, and you do make a good point that eradicating. Malaria, which is one of the things that the Gates Foundation, I don't agree with them on everything at all, but the Gates Foundation, one of their charters was, hey, what are one of our BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals, to quote a popular business book? And they said, let's eradicate malaria on a global basis. And it's not that it's still a problem in sub-Saharan Africa. It's that it's down to sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah. And the progress has been made, and we're going to help elevate the quality of life for those folks. You know what you guys made me think about, both of you? So while you're talking, I went up there and I looked up because of what you said. You said there's a part when you look at it, oh, my God, do I have this? Am I not taking this? Maybe Chris is stressed all this stuff, right? And then, Tom, the way you would inside, you know, you start kind of being worried about it. So I went online. Have you guys ever had anybody in your life that's hypochondria? Do you have anybody close to you that's hypochondria? Do you have anybody in – you probably yes. don't because you live in a country that they don't advertise. But do you have somebody yes, that – Yes, fortunately not close to me in my immediate family, but there is a member of the extended family that – We don't is, need the details. It's just close. That's, but yes. the name, yeah. the name, please. Please no. give us the name, phone number, address. <laughs> no, no, no. Address, I, I was address, only describing it so people number. listening yep. can go, got it. I know what you mean. Yeah, so – do you have somebody in your life that is? Uh, yeah, the hypochondriac is a real thing. They think they're sick. They get and they, and they so, it's like self prophecy. So you know what's prophecy. crazy? You know what's crazy about them? It's like when, I'll sit there and I listen to them, and I'll be like, "Man, dude, dude I would hate to be you, be, because you have so many sick. Did you know that if you do this? Did you know that if you do that? Mm -hmm. Did you know the weather? Did you know that this? Did you know that? Did you know that? Don't touch that. Don't don't don't. don't, don't. Oh, oh my goodness, what must you be thinking about all day long? But here's a question. How did you become this? Can you pull up data, Rob? Type the following. Increase in hypochondria cases in America. Okay? Increase in hypochondria cases in America. We're jealous because in your country this doesn't exist. Because in your country you're, you're not being advertised left and right that the end of the world is coming. I, I, see if you can pull up a chart. Because the one I have right now is showing that it's been an increase 
And more and more people are dealing with hypochondria. They're afraid that they're not healthy, they're not good, you know, they're having issues. You know, I don't know if you're able to find it or not, but keep looking for it. While you're looking for it, we'll talk about it, you know. Uh, uh, Here's an article here that says anxiety is the most searched symptom on Google. But how does that happen, though? Like, like here's uh, who we asked the question last week when we were talking to a couple of friends, who gets the best out of you? Right. And we thought about a couple of names. And then a the follow up question was, I want you to think about the person that gets the worst out of you. Who gets the worst out of you? OK, so then the next question becomes, who do you listen to on television that by the time you're done, you have anxiety? Who do you listen to on YouTube or television? By the time you're done, you're like, man, you know. We got this, right? So if you watch advertisements on health, like I'll give you an idea. You know, it, <laughs> I, I almost don't want to, I can't tell this story. It's too, it's, 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 it's a terrible, it's a funny story, but I can't tell this story. Now, it's a very, now you have I'm to telling tell you, I story, can't tell this story. You have to, I mean, I can't you don't have to story. name names. He's going to feel oh, oh, so oh. bad. He's going to feel so bad. But I'll give you one of the stories. I won't tell this whole story. But by the way, this is from 30 years ago. So we had 30 a, years. You're yeah. past the statute of limitations on the story. Pat. I'm going to tell you the story. I'm, I won't tell the other one, but I'll tell this one because this is not as dark as the other one. We had a guy that were playing basketball one day, 13, 14 years old. Conversational masturbation comes up. Okay. <laughs> this is where we're going. Obviously, nobody here has ever masturbated, but some do. Okay. You've so heard. The, so you've heard. Yes, <laughs> statistics, right? But, but, my, my boys are getting to that age, so they're going through a puberty class that we got to sign off and all this stuff. And I'm looking at the content of this puberty class that they got to go through. I'm like, dude, I can teach it to you in five minutes. Let's sit down. <laughs> As a father, I'll break it down for you how this stuff works. But so we're going through this, playing basketball. One of our guys asked a question because there was a story that week in school about AIDS. Okay. And the story was that, you know, AIDS is starting to spread. So then one guy asked a question. He says, can you get AIDS by masturbating? And so we collectively as a group are like, oh, of course you can get it. We're playing a prank on this guy. This poor guy gets so scared. Obviously, it's a dirty prank that, the, you know, the whole, see, sometimes it's this type of stuff that happens. This guy gets worried. He goes to the doctor. He starts panicking for a couple weeks. He asks his mom to go to the emergency room, goes to the doctor, asks his mom to step out of the room and asks the doctor, can I get AIDS from masturbating? And the doc starts laughing. He says, what do you mean? He says, no, I'm telling you, because they're talking about in school right now that this can happen. This was a topic of discussion in the school for about a month. <laughs> Look at Tom's face for a second, Tom. By the way, as dumb of an example as I'm giving you right now, go back to when you were a kid and how somebody would say something to you. I had a cut one time here. Okay, We got into a fight, and I got a cut, and the other guy's blood touched my blood. And I was like, hey, you're going to die because that guy's sick. You know, for a week, I was, I'm like, this is it. I'm going around telling everybody in my family, Mom, I love you. <laughs> I love you. If something happens, I love you. Nothing's happening, right? So, again, I'm giving you a very simple example here as when we were young, what we feared because somebody bullshitted you into thinking you could die from XYZ because you're doing this. And a young boys, that's a conversation boys have amongst boys. When you go through this phase, right? You think bring that up to 45 years old and you're sitting and watching a basketball game, ESPN. Have you been farting a lot lately? 
there could be a cause that you have liver cancer. And with this medicine that's out here right now, by this FDA approved, but not, they're not FDA approved, but if you take this medicine, you need to see your doctor because if you have farted more than 17 times in a day, that may, I know this is a joke, but people are sitting there saying, maybe I have liver cancer because I fart one too many times. Maybe I have this. Yeah. I, there's a part of me that's convinced based on what both of your answer was, not based on data, there's a reason why these other countries don't allow big pharma to advertise because it probably increases anxiety. How many can you rob? Can you pull up a commercial to see what percentage of commercials on TV are about uh, uh, some drugs or prescription or big pharma? I'm so curious to know what percentage is 70% drug drug in a low therapeutic value study finds. No, I want to know what percentage of commercials on TV what percentage of commercials like on TV are big pharma? Yeah, I just want to know what like you're solving for one out of every 10 commercials oh, you're is looking a, selling that a drug. 6.6 6 billion, I hate big spenders. Big pharma spent $6.6 billion on ads last year. $6.6 billion. Find the total ad spend overall. I just want to go. know what percentage is big pharma. That is all I want to know. What percentage is big pharma? And that twenty percent of that is that high speed talking at the end of the end of the ad. <laughs> yes. Okay, there you go. I just found side effects include genital rest and loss of head. Okay, watch <laughs> what I just found. Check this out. Check this out, Tom. Pharmaceutical industry, TV advertising spending in the United States from twenty twenty. It's shown the dollar amount, but it's also shown on this uh, website, Statista, uh, st- uh, that says. In 2020, TV ad spending of the big pharma industry counted for 75% of total ad spend. What? Did you, Tom, did you hear what I just said? Wait, wait, S- what? Okay, okay. so let me send this to you, Rob. Go Google this. Type in what? Oh, you found it? Mm-hmm. 75%. What, what are we talking? So no wonder people have hypochondria in America. Wow. No wonder people are panicking that they're dying. No wonder people are so worried about everything because of these at 75% of the time. My, my question a lot of times, I'll go, I'll go from this. Let's just say I have a very strong argument in some area, right? And I, I'm a capitalist to the core. So I prefer to talk to communists and socialists. So I'll have a Sam Cedar or a Jenk or a Cow or a Pac-Man. Or uh, uh, what was that, uh, Vivek, uh, um, not Vivek, uh, uh, one of the bigger socialists. He's got an interesting name, a communist. Uh, or Richard Wolff, the professor mm-hmm. who's the number one socialist professor in America, according to Forbes 2016, 2017. And I'll talk to him and I'll say, ooh, there's a leak right there for your capitalist argument. Got it. Oh, okay, you see, they have a point there. They have a point here, right? And you're kind of trying to strengthen the argument. 75% of ad spend is by big pharma. If you're sitting there, you're wondering why the other 190-something countries don't allow pharma to advertise. You have to ask the question, why? So what would happen in America if in 2024, moving forward, we took a six-year break, big pharma, not permanent. Let's just take a six-year break. Let's see how much anxiety drops in America. Let's see the levels of anxiety drop in America. 
I'm never going to hear about this end of the story I just gave you about my friend who, back in 13, 14 years old, he thought he's going to get AIDS from masturbation. I'm sure that story is going to come up quite often when people ask me questions. He's in the lobby with a rifle, Pat. <laughs> he's in the lobby with a Oh, this is why you do it in the vault. <laughs> yeah. wow. Now I got it. Yes. Not that you can't get out, that they can't get in. Exactly right. Man, what do you think about this stuff? What do you think about why these countries are not doing it? Am I just like, you know, going crazy right now thinking about why these other major countries in the world don't allow Big Pharma to advertise on their TVs? I think we've just underlined it. And you can take a look at all this. Let's take a look at all the high. Look at the cost of all the, the hypochondriacs, uh, needless trips. So how much doctor's time would we save? How much... Yeah, deductible expenses, $15 a time, and then and the people that are hourly, that are not paid a salary, but then they don't work those hours because four hours are not there because we all know it takes forever to sit in a waiting room. So they have to take half a day off, and then they got to pay 20 bucks. Add all that stuff up, Pat. Look at all the time and costs and societal benefit you would get out if we just could cut hypochondria in half in America. But, and, but, and also, I, my guess is that the the bigger problem is that we're really all worried about. It. You know, have you ever have you ever read one of those doctor books? You know, when or go on Net Doctor and see you know what what are different kind of symptoms. Web it's every night, one hour yeah, a night. WebMD, one hour a night. You'll drive yourself out of entertainment. It's, yeah. it's very easy to get to feel that you know. There's a lot of things that could worry you. I don't think we need to be hypochondriacs to actually you know get more worries uh so so it would cut a lot more anxiety than just for the for the high so high, i so high I, contracts so I'd, I'd like to just uh you know, because i think actually we've sort of ended up in a place where we're talking very much about the same thing that we worry about with climate change that we're in some ways allowing everyone to expand on all their yeah. fears and worries and if you then confirm constantly on tv Yes, you are going to die. Yes, that next hurricane you saw is actually the one that's out to kill you. And it's just going to get worse from here on out. We're essentially allowing, if you will, uh, pharma ads and uh, 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 browsing on WebMD for the climate conversation as well. And maybe we should ask for a little more sensibility so that people wouldn't be as scared, both on on, uh, on medical issues and on climate. Well, climate and pharmaceutical industry have one thing in common. They, ha they, they use the prospect of tremendous doom to get a purchase decision. Mm -hmm. And so call it what you will, when you line up with a... With a, a Saying, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm supporting all the following elements of climate change. I'm going to do this. You've made a purchase decision. You've been sold. You've been marketed to. You've been lobbied, and you made a purchase decision. And so now you're, now you're with that, with that group, with that mob. And that's what the pharmaceutical industry is doing. They're finding, pick a doom, get it out there, amplify it, and then be the, be the solution. Yeah, I, I think accidentally we have started a conversation on a topic that I would love for you to do more research on. <laughs> That's why you came here today. I don't know okay, if you know no, that no, this no, entire... I got a job and I got to go back you, in, in a I, year. <laughs> you, you, if you could, I would be so curious to know the link because hmm. I tell you, you know how miserable life can be if you have somebody who has hypochondria? You know how much it hurts the people around you? Hmm. Do you know why? Because uh, uh, the folks who have hypochondria, they... They don't know it, and they're not trying to hurt you. They're sincere. I don't think they're playing games because they need attention. I sincerely believe they are so afraid that the world is coming to an end with their health, that they're mm -hmm. dying, 
that everybody around them constantly has to hear the message. You have no idea how sick I am. Yeah. Right. If you only know how sick I am, you don't know how sick I am. Shame on you. Do you know what I'm going through? You know how sick I am? And we have, if we don't bow down and say, oh my God, you are so sick, and you say the opposite, that's why you don't do research. You, you don't sympathize for people like mm. us. The other person, like, look, man, I love you. I understand you. You know, you may have some things here, but where does that fear come from? Now we know. Yeah. Thanks to Big Pharma, 75% <laughs> of ad spent is these guys. By the way, if you look it up, it says the U.S. consumer drug advertising boom on television began in 1997 when the FDA relaxed its guidelines relating to broadcast media. Re relating to broadcast media. Why? Type in 1997 FDA uh, uh, broadcast media. FDA broadcast media. Can you click on and see what stories comes up? Consumer directed broadcasting in 1997. That's the one right there. Docket number FDA. Advertisement. Consumer directed broadcasting. Let's see who's on this bill. Zoom in a little bit. I'm actually really curious at this point. Now I have to go research this. Here we go. Freaking A. Additional copies of this document. Okay. Okay. Well, we're not going to do it right now, but I have to go take a look at this but to see what was the reasoning behind it? Who pushed this? Okay, the background. Mm. Introduction. The guidance and the assistant sponsors who are interested in advertising their prescription human and animal drug, including biological products for humans directly to consumer uh, through broadcast media such as television, radio, telephone communication system. Background. The FDA requires manufacturers, packers, and distributors who advertise prescription human and animal drugs, including biological products for humans, disclose an advertisement, certain information about the, okay, that's fine if you disclose. You still scare the crap out of a bunch of boomers. Exactly. Okay, this prescription drug, one's going to distinguish between them. Anyways, um, I want to know why the other yeah. guys don't do it. So, Patrick, I've, I've heard your request for me to Please. look into this. <laughs> uh, but if I could just say, because I have spent the last 20 years on, on figuring out how people worry about climate change. Uh, so let me just you know take it back to saying sure. there, there, it, it seems to me, uh, and I've never thought of, of, of the parallel, but in, in reality, we have a situation where we've now made an enormous number of people, both kids, but also really adults, incredibly worried. We have a Kamala Harris who will go out and say, this is an existential threat. And we have everyone telling us this could be the end of mankind. That is a terrible thing to tell people. Now, if it was true, we should probably be saying it, but it's not. That's not what the UN climate panel is telling us. And so just just as concerned as we should be about the the, the terrible state of, of of people being hypochondriacs and, and, and living in this permanent state of fear, there's something really odd about the fact that we've allowed ourselves to live in a, in a society now where a large number of people and all the top politicians are telling us this is the end of the world. And, of course, it makes us make really bad decisions. You, you, you know, there was a game back in the days called Bullshit. <laughs> I think we need to start playing bullshit again. I was, I was, uh, we're studying why. Do you know what uh, immigrants in America make the biggest income per year? Do you know from what country make the biggest income per year? Is it not uh, Korean and Japanese Asians? It's Indians. Really, Indians above everybody. It's not even close, by the way. Japan's up there. China's up there. We, we're wow. doing we're doing a video here next week on this topic. We're doing it this week here on this topic. But then I, I went in there to see why this is. Okay, U.S. U.S. has uh, the Indian uh, um, uh, immigrant community in America is only one percent American population. But 8% of CEOs in Silicon Valley are Indian. 1% population, 8%. Okay? What they're doing with STEM, 
What percentage of their kids go to STEM versus going to regular wanting to be teachers and all these other degrees? And then it led to this whole rabbit hole I went into on par- you know, Indian parenting, right? Go to indiaparenting.com. Go to indiaparenting.com. Uh, I think this is the set. I hope I get it right. Maybe if I'm wrong, we're just going to have to Google it and it'll come up. Uh, type Indian, India parenting, Indian parenting. Let's see if this comes up. There it is. That's the one. Is it India or Indian parenting? That's the yeah. one. Okay. In, why isn't it coming up? We just looked at this two days ago. It's not coming. We need an well, Indian anyways, IT guy. This website. Here real quick. Help us out here. Oh, this website gave 10 things. <laughs> this website, we have an Indian IT guy. I was just on the site yeah. two days ago. This website gave 10 reasons. Or 10, 10 things Indian parents do that's different. You know what was point eight or number nine? Judgmental. And you're like, wow, because you typically are raised thinking what? Don't judge. Don't no. don't give them bad self-esteem. <laughs> Lift what them up. Side said, what Indian parents do is they judge hardcore. Mm-hmm. And they'll judge and say, that kid is bad. That did it is. This is bullshit. Don't buy into this. Don't buy into that. Don't buy into this. I think we need to get a little judgmental mm-hmm. again with big pharma and freaking climate change. I think we need to judge a little bit and say, hey, Greta, Al Gore, I'm going to pull a bullshit card on you, buddy. I think you're full of shit. Go ahead. Let's see what you got here with your Oscar award-winning performance that you had, scaring the crap out of all the people. What kind of liability or responsibility should you get for doing that? Anyways, we went in a whole different rabbit hole today. Phenomenal. Now we have to go read a bunch of different material. I was not looking forward to having to do this, but we have to do this now. And it's all because of you. Yeah. You Sorry. get the blame. Why'd you do that? What's this all about? We're being friendly with you. Yes. And then I just make you all interested in all kinds you of stuff. You know what? Man. I don't appreciate it. But <laughs> Stop playing games in my heart, What Bjorn. I do oh. appreciate is a great conversation. And we had that today with you. We're thankful for you for coming out. Thank this you. was fantastic. Uh, we want to encourage everybody to go buy. Uh, our friends, here's book, False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions of Dollars, Hurts the Poor, and Fails to Fix the Planet. The link will be below, Rob, both in chat and as well as description. Uh, Bjorn, once again. And, sorry, and if you are interested in the 12 Smart Solutions, I'm coming out with a book this month. It'll be called, uh, called Best Things First. Is that also on Amazon to put the link uh, or not it, yet? It will be, but it, okay. no, it's not yet. But, All right, well, we're going to uh, we'll get you the link. So, fantastic. Uh, yeah. We'll put that there as well. But uh, it's great having you on. Thanks for coming out. This was, was fantastic. Fun. Gang, we're doing a live podcast this Thursday uh, with uh, uh, Rudy, Rudy and Dave. Giuliani. We're looking forward to seeing you guys there at uh, 5990 Live. Dave Rubin. If not, you will see it on podcast, except we're doing it Thursday night. We're not doing the yep. morning. We're doing a Thursday night, 7 to 9. First time we're testing this. We'll see what's going to happen. A lot of European people who watch the podcast will be sleeping, but I want you to wake up and stay up. That <laughs> I want you to stay up because we're going to do a bunch of things to help minimize your hypochondria you're dealing with, <laughs> with all these BS commercials that we have to watch 75% of the time. Anyways. Man, bear, pig. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Thank you, Bjorn. Bye.